And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Stark, please. Yes, dear. Can I have your attention? Absolutely. If you could make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. I want one. I want to make Iron Man look like an antique. Our priority here is to have you turn over the Iron Man weapon to the American people. Well, you can forget it. Welcome to Commentary Monthly Monday. I am Chris Honeywell, and I am here with Scott Gardner. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> Just one of my little spells. Um, and we are going to blab all the way through... I don't know if... I I usually say one of your favorite movies. I don't know if this is a big in everybody's favorite movies, but this is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this one, because, well, you know, for one thing, you know, the next chapter in the saga is about to come out. Um, Iron Man 3 comes out May 3rd, but, uh, you know, it, it came down to a simple choice, either, you know, Iron Man or Iron Man 2, and, you know, full disclosure, I like this one a hell of a lot better, and... So that was one of the reasons. The other reason is uh, I'm hoping to offer up a bit of a uh, of a defense for it because I know I know the the movie has its fans. I know a lot of people like it, but I hear a lot more people knock it than I hear praise it, and that bugs me because I think that top to bottom, this is a far superior. I film agree. To the original. So. I really liked the original a lot. I was mm-hmm. I, I never really. I didn't not like Iron Man, but I was never really a big fan of the Iron Man comics. I'd read them every once in a while when I was a kid, but I wasn't really that interested, and I frankly wasn't really interested in the movie. But I really liked... uh, My friend Mark went to see Iron Man 1 and said, I think you'll really like it. It doesn't mess around. It just, bam, it gets started with the story right off the bat. It introduces a character... And, you know, it gets the, the origin out of the way rather quickly and, and moves along. And I thought all that was true. I think um, what sold it was Robert Downey Jr. Basically yes. oh, yeah, um, just, sold, just sold that first movie. So I was very excited for the second movie, especially um, since I knew it was going to be the same, pretty much the same team as yep. the first movie. And which, you know, this director is a very good director. He's a, he's done serious dramas. You know, it's, it's, I love it when they get someone who's not just a genre director. Right. For a a comic book movie. 
because then they put that extra stuff in it that that makes it cross so it's not just it's good to have a movie just for the comic people but that ain't gonna get you enough money for a sequel so they gotta right. make it so mom and dad and and you know you know Joe's Saturday matinee is gonna like it and he succeeded famously absolutely I agree well, before we get into this, I had a couple of uh, quick things here. Oh, yes, that's right. As I am wont to do, I will occasionally scour the internet for uh, things people might be saying about us. And, you know, <laughs> nine times out of ten, it's pretty awesome. And uh, I happened to stumble across one. This was, uh, this was a while ago, and I've been meaning to bring it up on the show. And I figured, well, now is a really good time. I don't know if you saw this. This is from a site called ItCameFromTheNerdCave.com. And uh, this was an article called Turn It Up and Rip the Knob Off, Podcast for Nerds. And it mentions um, a whole bunch of different podcasts and about, oh, uh, let's see, one, two, three, fourth down on the list, two tree freaks. Yes. And I I like I say yes, but uh, what was it good? Here's what they've got. They basically broke all the shows down by asking the same things. So the first thing says, what is it? It says, Choo Choo Freaks, TTF, is something of a hot mess. But I mean that in a good way. I have read this. I did find this. <laughs> this is an awesome, this is awesome. Yes. Yes. I think he so got there int- Huh? I think he understood what we were going for. <laughs> He says their interests, much like my own, are all over the map. Star Trek, Star Wars, comics, sci-fi, and horror movies. The list goes on. Frequency? All the time! Seriously, (laughs) I rarely find a lapse of more than a couple of days. No moss grows on these guys. It's because I had it surgically removed. I thought Um, it was like, I thought he was speaking Spanish and going, No moss! No moss! (laughs) No no moss! He says the good? The movie commentary episodes. Oh no, that puts the pressure on us for this one. It says, if you're like the typical nerd, uh, there are movies you've seen so many times that you can recite the lines by heart. I mean, do you really need to see aliens to know what's going on? Listening to these guys sit there and talk about a movie while you're uh, they're watching it is actually quite entertaining. Aw, thank you. This I is like the how bad. he says actually as if he's surprised. <laughs> oh ye of little faith. The bad? detailed breakdowns of old comics. Well, I guess he's not an old comics fan. He says, similarly to Secret Identity, which is another podcast on his list here, these guys will pull a comic book out of a long box, read it, then talk about it, and talk about it, and then talk about it some more. Not my thing, but hey, rock on, nerd. So, you know, it's not a, a harsh criticism, it's just not his thing. I like that. The Ugly... <laughs> That's the me. TTF, the, the TTF guys, actually it's Chris, always Photoshop their faces onto some image for each episode's cover art. Seeing a pasty white dude's grill on Slave Leia's body can be disturbing. <laughs> that was you, wasn't it, I believe? <laughs> I No, sure. you were Jabba in that picture. <laughs> I'm not sure. I know that I was recently uh, Dorothy Gale, which was all kinds of messed up. Even my wife was like, oh, my God, that's not right. <laughs> Did you make her dress up as a cowardly lion? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Dorothy Gale, we do have one piece of feedback. Oh, this you moved time right now. on from that one. <laughs> I wasn't that. I'm, I'm getting good at this after five years. 
This one is simply entitled Two True Freaks, number 327, Wizard of Oz Commentary. This is really good commentary episode. Brought back a ton of memories of watching this as a kid. Is that uh, is that the Miko version of Over the Rainbow to start the episode? Yes, it is. It what is. else? Since <laughs> <laughs> my wife and I uh, actually exited our wedding uh, to the Hawaiian version of Over the Rainbow by is it is I Z? I, I know which version he's talking about. I just don't know the artist, but yeah, I, I like that version. Do you know the one he's talking about? Uh, no, I don't. It, it's really nice. It's very slow. And it's one of those things where you, when it'll start to play, you'll be like, what is this? I know this music. And then it'll take you a minute because it's done in such a completely different style than, mm -hmm. you know, the classic movie version. But it, it's nice. I think I first heard it on an episode of ER of all places. I have an old Fisher Price wind up. It's a radio. But when you wind it up, it plays somewhere over the rainbow, but it's broken. And that is the slowest version of over the rainbow you'll ever hear i think it takes about two weeks to play through seriously like there it goes <laughs> maybe it's broken it is broken but 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 once you wind it up it will play over the rainbow you'll just hear like every 10 minutes or so you'll hear the next note you know so you have to hmm. be really patient Maybe maybe for episode 500, we'll do a podcast of Over the Rainbow on my little radio, and it'll be six <laughs> hours long to go through the, the, the verse. Then we'll see if they'll listen. They'll listen to that. They'll listen. If they'll listen to you take a crap and us <laughs> the phone book, they'll I listen won't even to listen anything. to that. <laughs> Says, have you all looked at Eric Schenauer and Scotty Young's Marvel Comics adaptations of the Oz books? Uh, I bought my wife the first two, and she really liked them. No, I I don't know that I'm aware of this. Is that was I vaguely was that remember the, them. I I don't know what that is. I did pick up. This was way 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 back. This has got to be probably early to mid '80s, I think. First comics had a couple of graphic novels mm -hmm. that were Oz. I don't know if they were adaptations or continuations, but I picked those up. I think they were adaptations of some of the books. I don't know if they were the Wonderful Wizard of Oz and but No. They were no, very I remember they had a very detailed, beautiful art style. Yeah, the art was gorgeous. It was some one of them was like the Ice King of Oz uh -huh. or something like that. The other one was like the Forest Mood of Endor of Oz or something like that. I don't know. I've got both of them though, and they they're really nice. Uh continues here i read a few of the books uh as a kid uh but it wasn't until i was studying history as an undergraduate uh, that i learned that bomb's original oz tale can be seen as an allegory for 1890s u.s populism and the politics of william jennings bryant uh i probably lost you right there yes yes you did i think i have a complete collection of oz books or at least i know i did at one time and I always meant to sit down and read them and just never did make the time to uh, to do so. When Scotty was an infant, I actually started reading him um, The Wizard of Oz, the, the first book. And I don't think I made it very far into it because it was so very different than the movie. And I'll admit to being, in, in that particular case, I'm a movie snob. You know, I, I, I love the movie, and because the book just didn't measure up and wasn't really the same story, I, I kind of lost interest in it. But maybe one of these days, I'll, if I can find the time, I'd like to delve back into that, you know? 
Does that agree with... Have you ever read any of the Oz books? Oh, yeah. I used to read them as a kid. My favorite was Ozma of Oz, the one that they um, based Return to Oz mostly on. Mm. Does I agree with Chris that Wicked is very good. I've seen the musical several times with my wife. Okay, I'm, I remember reading this, and I have to... Here's my reply to that. Wicked the book? Awesome. Wicked the musical? I haven't seen it. I don't think I could take it. Because <laughs> the book is so dark and moody and complex and interesting, and the and the musical is like a musical. It's all happy, you know, silly songs and you know characters speaking their thoughts and in that that there's a sort of way that they write songs now you know for musicals and it's in that format i don't think i could take it you know it's <laughs> it's not a light and funny book it's it's kind of heavy man but uh there must be something to it if you saw it six times that's that's a lot you know, I can't believe I've made it like, uh, you know, like eight tenths of the way through this email. And I totally forgot to mention that since we did that episode, I have uh, seen Oz the Great and Powerful. Have you seen that? I remember you were going to see that. No, I have not seen that. Um, I've gotten wildly mixed reviews from my friends who've seen it. All of whom, all of the people that who I know who've seen it, I really value their opinions. So I'm told I got to see it because... Uh, some of them loved it, some of them hated it. None of them were like, meh, meh. And the ones that hated it still admitted there were parts of it that they really liked. Um, the ones who hated it, their big problem with it was, I think, so seemed mostly to be James Franco. Yeah, see, I keep hearing that criticism, and I don't want to sound dismissive, but I will largely dismiss those criticisms. You like I don't it? know what people's... I, well... It's like this. Um, I would I would recommend it, especially if you like the original classic MGM picture. Um, understand that it tries its hardest to be a prequel, but it can't really be a prequel because you know no money changed hands to officiate right. it. You know what I mean? Right. So there's things they couldn't do. You won't see the ruby slippers and things like that. But there are so many nods and homages that, you know, they're clearly trying to establish a connection between the two without outright establishing a connection between the two. Without getting sued, basically. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Um, I think the opener, you know, the, the main credit sequence at the beginning and the opener of the film is one of the best ones that Disney's done in a long, long time. Um, just when I thought that I was completely sick to death of Danny Elfman... Then he goes and delivers an opening credits piece of music that I think is just classic. It's really, really fantastic. Um, and then the movie meanders horribly for what felt like three hours. It, I'm not saying it's bad. It just was like, I mean, does it I was really doing, know what it wants to be? I was doing that circular hand motion for a lot of the movie, like, okay, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And, you know, you and I commented several times during our commentary for the original that that movie doesn't stop. It's, right. it's, it's the Star Wars of its day. It moves. There's a lot of stuff that happens in a very short amount of time, and that's kind of what I expect from an Oz picture. And this one had a lot of downtime. I mean, a lot of downtime. Which is funny it, because for, you know, for 
Sam Raimi, he's usually a very uh, active director. He well, usually keeps that, everything moving. It, it wasn't that, like, how do I want to put it? It was kind of like Phantom Menace Syndrome. Oh. Because it's not like there weren't things to look at and there weren't things to see, but you just spent too much time in that Link, world. And, and I'm very conscious of that. You know, that's one of those things that I'm always looking for is, all right, are they trying to keep the story moving and keep me engaged or are they trying to impress me with this incredible world of special effects that they created and i right. really felt like it was the latter yeah during the middle portion yeah. of the picture i always feel it's better to have that wonderful world but just have it fleeting in the background that's yes. how that's what the original trilogy knew how to do like when you first went to uh dagobah Mm -hmm. You know, you'd see the you'd see a guy you'd see a winged creature flying by in the background, but he'd just go by in the background and and he never really got a solid never look really at got it. a solid look at it, and then it was moving on to the next thing. But there was yep. always something going on. It never let you just sit there and soak it in, right? And that made it more realistic, and it made it watchable. Many it made it something you wanted to watch over and over again because you could just spend so much time picking out new details. That said, though, um, I did enjoy it very much. The China girl steals the movie and absolutely breaks your heart. I mean, she elicited some real emotion for me in that movie. She was a very, very powerful character. And what is totally worth the price of admission, totally worth getting your, your fanny in the seat to see this movie in the theater is the spectacular, you know, the, the, the climax of the movie, the, the big payoff confrontation between the wizard when he finally accepts his role as the wizard and the Wicked Witch. That's pretty impressive. I loved it. I thought it was very, very good. I loved the callbacks to uh, Edison and guys like that. I, I, it was I, That part of it I really enjoyed, and it made the movie enjoyable for me because up to that point, I wasn't quite sure if I was digging it because um, I, I, you know, the special effects were really good. The China girl was really good. I like James Franco. Um, the soundtrack was pretty good, but I just wasn't feeling the story overall. Um, both of the women that played the, the sisters um, weren't doing it for me. They're pretty to look at. Neither one of them could, you know, call their dog and make me believe it. That's, you know, they that was another really thing I heard. Bad yeah. actresses. But James Franco was very engaging. Glenda was very engaging. And again, you know, the, the China girl was very engaging. Um, the flying monkey partner was a little annoying. He was a little too Jar Jar for me. And I didn't think his CGI was particularly good. But I did get a kick out of the fact that poor James Franco can't seem to do a movie without a monkey partner. Lately. Right, I think right. It's very interesting. But um, but at the end of the day, thumbs up, thumbs down. I'd say thumbs up. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't feel taken or anything. I, I thought it was a pretty solid movie. It Speaking will not thumbs have up, thumbs down. R.I.P. Roger Ebert. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll have the same legs and the same rewatchability that the classic does. But, you know, overall, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. Makes me want to do um, Return to Oz. I wouldn't be averse to that. I would not be averse to that. Let me wrap this up uh, a little bit more in the email here. It says, sorry, Scott, I always love the lion song. Hey, you know, whatever floats your boat, man. I, I just, for me, it's like nails on a chalkboard. But if you like that sort of thing, more power to you. 
says the here's Johnny reference made me think that y'all need to do a commentary for the shining, maybe for Halloween. Eh, I don't know. I mean, if Chris wanted to do it, I'd, I'd take a bullet for Chris. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, it's not, it's my a long, movie. it's a long, slow movie. That's the thing. It's, I don't know how it's, I mean, I, <sighs> The Shining's gotten a lot of uh, press lately, too, because they just had that movie about all the people who have conspiracy theories based on it and, and stuff that they've seen encoded in the movie. I'm dying to see that movie, by the way. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. They ju- I, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but they just made a documentary about people who have s- study The Shining and one person thinks there's all this hidden symbolism in there about um, um, the American Indians being wiped out. That it uh, symbolizes the the you know the wiping out of the the genocide of the American Indians. There's another guy whose theory is that it is um, Kubrick's secret message that that um, he's the guy who filmed the moon landing. And, you know, he, he mathematically proves that. So it's people who've watched The Shining way too much and their, their mm-hmm. theories about it. And it's a documentary about them. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. That might be more something that maybe I'd want to grab one of the guys from the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. Cause I was going to suggest that because I... I- I, I can see you wanting to do that one, and that would get me off the hook. Because I, I got to be honest, not a fan. I, I, I've seen the movie, and I, I you know, I don't want to be harsh or and more than anything. I think it just comes down to ignorance on my part. On my part, and what I mean by that is, I, I, I was never really a Jack Nicholson fan. I, I don't really get Kubrick outside of two thousand one. And I just don't get the whole. Which is funny, which is his weirdest movie of all, you know? Right. (laughs) And so I'm just, I've seen the movie, and it's one of those movies I walk away from going, what's the big friggin' deal with this movie? I just don't get it. Now, the remake, on the other hand, I thought was. The remake was really good. The remake was a good adaptation of the novel. Right. It was a solid adaptation of the novel, which means it was a totally. I mean. When you see a Stanley Kubrick film, it's a Stanley Kubrick film. It it had a Stephen King story at the at the bottom of it, but once you know Steve, you know Stanley Kubrick would get his hands on it, it became his thing. And so, you know, the I look at the book and the movie as two separate entities all together. You know, I love Stanley Kubrick. He's my one of my favorite if not my favorite filmmaker as a body of work and uh but i'm not sure if the horror guys if any of them are all and really big kubrick fans either so i don't know i'm sure i could find somebody who would who would be interested in doing that movie well, maybe the writer of this letter would be interested in doing it with you. He signs off and says, that's all for now. Keep up the good work. And this is from our buddy, Jonathan Kreitz. Oh, yes. As, as we like to say, Jonathan Kreitz. Well, he's also, someday if I ever get that, my old goddamn computer fixed, there's the lost uh, commentary that I did with Jonathan Kreitz of uh, The Dark Knight Rises. 
Oh, that's right. I was thinking about that the other day and was was wondering how that... Yeah, that's right. I forgot that you said that was a lost episode. It's... Which is a shame, because although I don't ever plan to see the movie, I was kind of curious to listen to the commentary just for a laugh, you know? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's not like we ripped on it. We were being fairly, oh, you know, film filmmaker guys. <laughs> not that I didn't take my shots, pot shots at it, but uh, it's, it, it's not lost as in never pot possible to see it again it's just i have to have extra money that to take that old computer in and have them either get it running again or bleed the contents of the hard drive onto a external hard drive and and then then i'll have it i'll have to edit it it's in raw video or audio form but you know that's that's wouldn't be hard to fix so someday someday jonathan kreitz jonathan kreitz <laughs> it really comes down is what I'm hearing to a matter of you just getting off your ass, which that's that can be that can be a tough uh, that can be a tough one. Uh, they haven't built the crowbar big enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got for uh, for opening such and such for this. So are we ready to dive into this one? Okay. So uh, where are we starting this this uh, puppy off at? We are paused now. I'm watching this off of Blu-ray. By the way, I just want to mention this. Um, if you guys have Redbox in your area, I actually went and rented this today because I, I still don't have a copy of it yet on Blu-ray, unfortunately. I really want this movie on Blu-ray, but I'm not going to pay 20 friggin' dollars for it. But I'm hoping it'll go on sale when the new one comes out. Anyway, I went and rented it from my local um, Redbox. And as I was, I hadn't been to the Redbox in quite a while. So as I was getting the movie and checking it out and everything, I noticed their prices had gone up and everything. But there was a little button there that said uh, promo code. And I thought, hmm. So whipped out my phone, did a quick Google search. Sure enough, there's all kinds of promo codes all over the internet. So I used one. It was a DVD on me. And I got it for a whopping 32 cent rental. So nice. uh, go out there and check out Redbox. It's, it's pretty awesome. But yeah, I, uh, I got this on uh, on Blu-ray. So I am paused right after the movie starts. It's just gone to black after the uh, PG-13, uh, whatever you call it, warning or whatever at the beginning of the movie. So it's just prior to the Paramount Mountain and all that stuff. Okay. Just so a couple seconds in. Shall I do the countdown? Do it, do it! One uh, on, uh, on one, we'll go. Three, well, on go we'll go. How about oh, that? <laughs> I know one of these days one of us is going to end up doing uh, the ELO thing of going on four, four, four. <laughs> All right, after four, four. All right, three, to who? One, go. All right, it's playing. There we go. We got the stars falling from the sky. The stars are falling from the so, sky. So I like how this starts basically right at the end of the last movie. And I was thinking as I was listening to this dialogue today that I'm really glad that they dropped the whole Iron Man is the bodyguard of Tony Stark thing. You know, they pretty much dropped the whole secret identity thing right at the end of the movie. But yes. I I'm, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I I think it's a very novel approach. It's actually very refreshing. But I'm glad that they dropped the whole, 
you know, bodyguard alibi because that it that doesn't is work with the Robert Downey aspects. Jr. Um, Tony Stark, right? I don't think it's he's too he's got too much of an ego not to let people know that he's Iron Man. You know, I could see him thinking like, ah, superheroes have their all, and him going, ah, who cares? You know, <laughs> let let right him know it's me. That, I have an Iron I Man suit. I think, and again, you know, this this just goes as a comparison between the two, but I, I honestly do think that pretty much top to bottom, this is a better movie. I think the better, you know, it has a better setup because the storyline goes throughout the whole movie. It doesn't, you know, change storylines or, or anything like that. It's pretty much the, you know, it's a revenge tale start to, you know, start to finish. So I like the initial setup. I like the whole story better. I like the world building that goes on in this. Because as I was watching this today, I was like, you can see where this really was one of the big Road to the Avengers movies where, where Tony was like honing his battle skills and that sort of thing with the movie. I really liked that. I like the characters in this. Um, oh, they got what, what a, you know... Um great cat i mean sam rockwell is mm-hmm. an awesome character actor mm-hmm. he's he's like you know could but just playing the sleazy alter ego of tony stark mm-hmm. and uh, mickey rourke is a great actor too and mickey rourke is especially lately the the new beat to shit mickey rourke <laughs> 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 What's funny is that you know you look at the first movie I love Jeff Bridges. He, you know, in his younger days was one of my favorite actors. Yes, you know, he was I, a Harrison Ford style. Yeah, you know, I loved him in Tron and and King Kong and all these other movies. Honestly, one of my favorites. I didn't like him in Iron Man. And I'm not sure why. I I don't know if it had to do with him being the heavy of the picture or he was what? it was he was uh, th- that's the thing is i thought as a heavy he was kind of just by the books he was not it wasn't as bad as the jj uh, abrams star trek right. as far as having kind of a lame heavy but i mean he was good he acted the role well but it wasn't a very exciting this guy's exciting he's he's a right. he's quirky character his, See, that's you kind of like him, you know. Yeah, that's the funny thing with with this is it's the complete opposite. I'll be honest, I don't really like Mickey Rourke, but I love his performance in this movie. I think he's very engaging, and and he he's got some real depth to his performance. I, I like I I like his character in this a lot. He's a very interesting and. Uh, you know, he's a he's a kind of villain we really haven't seen in a superhero movie before. Yeah. He's not, you know, a crazy scientist or super smart or super strong or the opposite number of the hero. Although he is kind in a way, if you if you draw the parallels with, you know, him being Vanko's son and Tony being, you know, Howard Stark's son, I guess kind of. But not, you know, it's not that obvious opposite number type of thing you know like you get in so many other superhero movies right right it's 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 not it's there but it's not pounded home right they don't beat you over the head with the the, the more parallel thing that is 
played up in this movie is the Sam Rockwell and, you know, Sam Rockwell being sort of the, like, little man syndrome version of Tony Stark. He wants to be Tony mm-hmm. Stark. And, uh, and you know, the, it, it's really funny. Um, I was watching it. It was either an interview or a blog of him ranting, but it was Penn from Penn and Teller. And he was talking about how he and Teller rarely, like, hang out and do stuff. But sometimes they go to movies, but they don't do it that much because, they, you know, there's not many movies that they like because they said, move, you know, they like their movies not too deep because they don't think for, a, you know, a story in two hours, you can't get the depth that you would say have in a book. So you only should be so deep with a movie and have the story be so, you know, so convoluted or meaningful. It's, it's supposed to be fun and dynamic and with a little bit of seriousness and message under it. And I think this movie is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like trying to be like the dark Knight, where it's like, this is a serious examination of, you know, Tony Stark, the, you know, the, the rich egocentric guy getting taken down a peg. There is that in that, in this, but it's just sort of, everything is just kind of throwaway. There is a good way. There is a moment in this that I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I, I see it as kind of taking something from Dark Knight and one upping it and uh, and I'll I'll point that out when we get there because I caught it today and I was like, ooh, you know <laughs> I think this is that scene done right. Yes. See, I love this whole idea of the Stark Expo and, and it, of course I well, like where well, they set it. You that's know? I was thinking when I was when I was rewatching this that of course Scott likes this one better. This one's got like just the Disney genetics mm-hmm. running through it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a lot of talk about legacy, you know, and the legacy of father, you know, that's another one of the subtexts in here, but it's not, you know, you don't have to dig too deep for the, the father and son, you know, passing down the, the good, you know, the sins of the father and all that. Well, I, I'm always a sucker for a good father-son, especially when there's been a bit of a estrangement and you know they find each other kind of thing, which they kind of do in this, but in a great way. It's it's through time, and I think yeah. that's awesome. I'll, I'll I'll talk more about that when we get there. But this movie had me pretty much right from here when they were setting this basically World's Fair. Well, look at the the touching queens where the sixty four sixty five World's Fair happened. Well, well, look and at Expo is in Epcot font exactly in the background there you exactly, know? and you know they they showed the globe and they showed the uh, you know the towers, and I just saw that and I was like, oh my god, you know this is this is where the the sixty four sixty five World's Fair took place. But then when he cuts to the, you know, he lets the movie of his father play right here. This is, this is just awesome. When it cuts to this, and I looked at that and said, oh my God, it's Walt. Mm -hmm. It's Walt's last movie. Walt Disney made a movie just, 
just mere months before he died. Actually, I'm, I'm not even sure it was two full months before he passed away. It was in late 66. And it was a movie that was made for basically for investors and for the state of Florida selling his Epcot project. And Epcot, as envisioned at the time, was more like this. It was a city of the future. And the whole look of this whole scene is exactly that. I mean, they really perfectly captured it. I mean, uh, what's his name? John Slatterly, or Slattery right there, as Howard Stark. I mean, he could play. Oh, yeah. Look just like him. They got the color of the Technicolor film of those days down. I mean, it, it looks like the the epcot film I, I was amazed by that and i really like you know there's a there was a little snippet of music that was playing in the background of that uh-huh. scene and that piece of music is called um make way for tomorrow today which is an obvious riff on there's a great big beautiful tomorrow which was the theme of the carousel of progress one of the four pavilions that disney made for the 65 you know 64 65 world's fair well the guys that wrote that song there's a great big beautiful tomorrow were the sherman brothers who were essentially the lennon and mccartney of disney music and that song that was written for this film make way for tomorrow today was written by Richard Sherman. Oh, one really? Of the, yeah. So he he, it was all intentional. They they wanted oh yeah all these callbacks to, you know, to the that fair and to Disney and Epcot and, and I love that. I mean, so yeah, right there, <laughs> it's got it all over the first. Favreau one. did his homework for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I love that uh, that they actually sought out Richard Sherman to write a riff of his own song. I, I, you know, I, I think that's phenomenal. Gary Shandling was born to play a smarmy Senator. <laughs> I wish there were real people like this that went in front of Congress and were smart asses like this. It would be a <laughs> riot. I love it. He's playing the whole audience like a comedian. It's so funny. Tony Stark is supposed to be kind of an unlikable, pricky character. And you just can't not like this guy the way Robert Downey Jr. plays him. Mm-hmm. He tries really hard. Him, yeah, I find him much more likable in this one as, com- as compared to the first one. And the first one, and, and maybe it was intentional. I don't Maybe he oh, was yeah. supposed more to have humanized in this one. Yeah. The yeah. first one was about him... Getting, you know, getting the, getting his feathers clipped, a little bit. Sam Rockwell is awesome mm-hmm. in this. He's awesome. He's just an awesome actor. Yeah, he is. It's funny because in the theater, I spent the entire movie going, "Where the hell have I, I seen this guy before?" That, he's that kind of guy. He's like Gary Oldman. Yep. And it wasn't until I rewatched uh, Galaxy Quest again. You know, at some point after seeing this in the theater that I was like, oh, my, of course, you know, he was Guy in uh, in Galaxy Quest. He was um, Zaphod Beeblebrox, too, I believe. In, um, was he? In uh, the Hitchhiker's movie. 
I only ever saw that. I need to watch that again. I only ever saw that once and had very mixed feelings about it. I did too. There were, there, it had its moments. It has its moments. Um, it's got one part that'll just flat out bring a tear to my eye. There's two parts that bring a tear to my eye every time. And that's the first scene with the, where the dolphins break into a song and dance number for so long. And thanks for all the fish. Mm-hmm. chokes me up every time it's just beautiful it, it, because it was new it was something new in the movie but it had douglas adams all over it you know i was like this is worthy of douglas adams and the other part is when douglas adams shows up at the end of the movie as a as the hologram at migrathia i like the way that they, they sort of nodded was that him or was it i thought it was the guy who was arthur in the original mm-hmm. no that was douglas adams he oh, he knew he that. was on the way out, and he recorded himself as the thing of Magrathia because he knew someday they would have the movie out. Hmm. At that point, I don't think they even knew who was going to make the movie. He just knew someday there would be a... And they canned it until the movie got made, and then, you know, computer generated him into it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think that uh, I always envisioned Rhodey much more like, say, Billy D. Williams and Nighthawks. Somebody, somebody a little more like with a deep voice and big, like a big a little, guy. a little more, a little more seventies chanka chank. You know what oh. I mean? Oh. But that said, this is another reason I like this one big a lot better than the first one because Don Cheadle, you know, while he wouldn't have been my first choice, he plays a pretty damn good roadie. You know, he he plays really good actor. The movie version of roadie better than than the first because that first guy annoyed me. For one thing, he's just got that pussy voice that really got on my nerves. You know, it's like, come on, you're roadie. You're supposed to be. You're a badass. Yeah, you're supposed to be more of a badass. Well, and it I wasn't just, just his it, voice. You know? He was kind of a w- wussy character too. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Who's kind of a softy. This this guy's still got, you know, like a lighter voice, but he looks more like he he, he looks wiry and like he could right. kick your ass. Yeah, yeah, he does. So I want one of these. It won't be long. <laughs> That's cool. Ow. <laughs> This is great. <laughs> I like yeah, how he I, just doesn't even pretend to like him ever. Right. This whole movie. He just, he just, he just is like, I'm not going to acknowledge this guy. I'm not going to take him seriously for one second. <laughs> I love it. And that's, you know, it makes him like, um, did you ever see Amadeus? He's like the Solieri character in Amadeus, where he just slowly gets driven nuts by being the the inferior. <laughs> this whole this <laughs> that whole speech there, I can picture it being said by Bill Murray. Right, it can't have it. You know, the uh, I could totally see this being like a Ghostbuster speech. I like that where he 
This is you, and you can see the other senators like, oh, God, come on. <laughs> That's great. I did keep waiting for Beretta to come get his bird through the movie, though, I have to be honest. <laughs> but I love it. I love a good villain who, I, you know, if I was going to be a super villain, I would always have, I would have a cat on my lap to stroke or a bird to, to feed. <laughs> Hairless cat. Yeah. Or whatever, some some sort of pet, just to show that that I do have a softer side. <laughs> have a stuffed a stuffed bunny like in that one Monty Python episode. <laughs> just right. pull it out shooting. That's for playing hard to get. <laughs> so I love that. So I usually lately I've been getting the the version of the the same one and now i'm noticing that any time there's a subtitle it's in german dude you can't say that oh did i break the fourth wall yeah you can't say that you i'm watching this off of a blu-ray that i rented oh yeah me too why do Robot butlers always have a British accent. <laughs> this, I mean, if this guy was like, if they turned up annoying 15%, he'd, he'd almost be C-3PO. What's funny is I I didn't like the idea of, of this AI Jarvis the first time around, but I guess I've just gotten used to him. I actually like the idea a lot now. I think it's pretty cool. But he is a lot like... Uh, like Kit or something. <laughs> he reminds me a lot of yeah. Kit. Um, yeah, I it? just don't think a billionaire guy would have a... I don't think people have butlers anymore. You know what I mean? Right. I think even like in the 80s and the Arthur and the toy days, it was still getting a little implausible. I meant to ask you, did you see the uh, the trailers for this? What, when, um, before it came out? Yeah. Yeah. Because I wondered why they changed the, the scene. The first time you see Iron Man, mm-hmm. and he runs and he jumps out of the back of the, of the airplane, in the trailer, there was a nice little scene between Tony and Pepper. Where That's right she kissed his helmet and then threw it out the back of the plane and he ran after it and jumped down. And he said something like, you, goes, complete you complete me, me as he jumped yeah. out. Yeah, that's right. I don't know why they changed it. I actually like that little scene. It was, it was strange that they changed it up. Maybe they just purposely did that just as like, you know, they're like, ah, well, people already saw that, you know, and they can fill it in. But yeah, See, I, I forgot I, about that. That was a, that was a nice little scene. And the, and they and like they play up the light romantic comedy between the two of these guys really well. Um, are those the three Sankara stones on the on that desk right there? <laughs> Look at the Sankara stones. They're probably something. See, I think she does. I never really thought much of Gwyneth Paltrow until these movies, because I think she does a really good job of holding her own, you know, in a scene with Robert Downey Jr., which has got to be tough. 
you know, this this back and forth, it, it feels very real. You know what I mean? When they're talking over each other. Yes. And... Well, she's she's really good at I mean, she's she's a veteran of a lot of romantic comedies. Right. So that's and that's the part she's that's she's playing in the, all the the romantic comedy parts of, you know, the the romantic dialogue and banter parts. So right. she's a, a natural for it. And uh, I don't know. It was pro- like it was probably really fun for her to act with Robert Downey Jr. Because there's you can tell there's a chemistry right going on there. It's it's really nice. Um, I it, it's it's funny. I'm this these movies. I'm really psyched to see three, even though Favreau's not directing it because. I think I could watch Robert Downey Jr. just as Tony Stark. I don't need him. He's good. He's spent what the only time he was in the suit so far was just to jump out of the plane, right? And we're what 20, 20 minutes into the movie, and it'll be a while before we see him as Iron Man. I don't care. I'm, yeah, see, I'm I've engaged seen that. by the Tony Stark character. I went online today and did some digging around for reviews of this, trying to understand. I thought it got good point. reviews, like critically. Oh, it, Nerd it did. Wise, it didn't. Yeah, those were what I was looking at. As I was trying to find the the nerd world, not so much even reviews. Is I was trying to find the complaints. What is it that the people that don't like it or that don't think it's as good as the first one, which to me is just ridiculous that it's not as good. I think it's far better. But it, it's at least as good. You know what I mean? But anyway, I was trying to understand what what are the things they don't like. And that's one of the criticisms that I saw was that there's way too much Tony and not enough Iron Man. And uh. I'll agree with that. However, I'm with you. I, I, you know, I'm perfectly content watching him. He's engaging in yes. this role. He's he's a great character. They've written they've written but between the writing and his acting They've got a character you would like to hang out with, you know. Do you think she's all that? I would have sex with her. <laughs> That's not what I asked you. I don't, you know, I like my girls a little quirky. And she's not that, she's, I mean, I mean, I am not going to, I am not going to complain. She's gorgeous. But I would right. take Gwyneth Paltrow if I had a choice because she's more interesting looking. Even though I like girls with dark hair, I just you know, I don't like the whole. I I don't know. I think nerds are a little easily impressed in the lady department, right? You know, or or not nerds, just guys in general, really like generic. She's not generic, but you know, she just has. It's almost perfection, you know. Who are you talking about? Which one of them are you talking about? Um, what's Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett Johansson. Okay, I wasn't sure which one you were talking Gwyneth about. Pal- no, Gwyneth Paltrow's got you know, she's you know people. I think she's really, really beautiful. But, you know, she, it's considered a sort of tomboyish beauty. Yeah, I was just girl gonna say next she's door very... beauty. See, I think Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the first time I ever really found her attractive. I think in these movies she is attractive. She's attractive in that tomboyish way. Plus, she's playing a redhead, which is, you know, that's my kryptonite like right there. But she needs a freaking hamburger or something. She yes. is so scrawny. 
Which well, Scarlett Johansson's like not exactly thick. She's just got big, big boobs. Well, no, I mean, I think she's well proportioned. I, I, I like her figure better than Paltrow, but maybe it's her portrayal. I mean, she's playing a dangerous woman trying not, you know, trying to blend in and right. just, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm just a secretary. But, you know, you can tell by her mannerisms and that little quirky look that she gives that, no, she's got something going on, you know. She's okay. In this and movie, I find that off-putting, I have to be honest. Well, in this movie, she was okay. But, in the, you know, by the time we get to the Avengers, I thought she was, right. you know, I, I actually was more into her character. And is Coulson the same actor? Is this the same as Coulson what? as in Avengers? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. There's that, something uh, that looks different about him. It's this like he's. Been, I'm sorry. It's like he lost weight between this movie and Avengers, or something. He may have. He may have. It's funny. I, I was thinking about this today that this would have actually only been the second time we had seen him because he wasn't in. Uh, I think of all of the uh, Avengers lead-up movies, I think the only one that he wasn't in was Hulk, which was the movie between this one and Iron Man. Because up till now there were there only been Iron Man and the Hulk, and then there was this one. So he was in Iron Man. He wasn't in the Hulk, which is a shame. I think he would have been the much better bridge character in that movie rather than having stark appear in the hulk as the little what was intended to be that little avengers connector you know uh what do you call it tag scene at the end which they ended up putting into the movie proper instead of it being stark showing up and talking to the general i i think it should have been colson yes you know, appearing in that one somehow or other i love this scene because he doesn't even make any pretense of being nice to him either of them right both of, both of them are just mortified to be talking to these people and these guys are kind of like internet trolls they don't care they know that these guys hate them but they're just gonna go and make them uncomfortable is she the one that he banged yes and then, okay yeah and, and then the found one. out she was a reporter she totally screwed him over actually colson's not in captain america now that i think about it they had that great they had that great line where he's like you know he's like she did a she did a spread. spread on him and he's like and she also wrote a story <laughs> yeah this is one of those movies that's got a lot of little snippets of dialogue like that that you know might take you three or four times watching it to pick up you know because there's a lot of that fast talking over each other Favreau's you know. good with that stuff yeah he's he uh, i think he did that oh, what was the name of the movie it was a total character movie it was swingers i think it was called and it was about you know sort of 50s type guys it wasn't in the 50s but it was guys who sort of affected that frank sinatra type of uh does the fantastic four know he's got one of their uniforms i know it's so cheesy See, it's there's just nobody's gonna win an Oscar in this movie, but it's just great little moments. The look on the that reporter's face as she's she's <laughs> looking at it, she's looking at him like I know you're full of bullshit, and she's still more fascinated by Tony Stark. 
on the TV than him. He just can't win. If, if Tony Stark is represented anywhere in the room, that guy's automatically just bumped down several pegs. See, I see this one in, in a lot of ways as almost classically more of a comic book movie than, yes. than some of the other ones because much like Superman the movie, it takes its time getting to the big hero reveal. Yeah, it, and, it plays out like a regular movie. Right. Like a non-genre movie. It's just a, it's a little romance story about a rich guy and his secretary and a guy who doesn't like him right now. You know, his comp, his a jealous competition. Well, you look at, say, Superman the movie, you're a solid third into that movie before Superman even shows up. And right. you only get that one little tease of him quickly flying by the screen in the Fortress of Solitude, you know, at the conclusion of that whole scene. Very similar here. I mean, I don't think we're a third into the movie, but there was that little flying scene with Iron Man. And then that's all you get until the really big, you know, the the, the hero moment, you know, the confrontation with the bat. I love that because up until this point, I wasn't really sure of, of the score either, which was one of my huge complaints with the first Iron Man movie. I really didn't like the it score a, of that movie. It relied too much on just rock and roll. I love yeah. how this, I love, if you, if you notice, this is such a very well shot and edited scene. It's stopped, oh, yeah. it's stopped moving now, but I when this. it, when it moves, there's always a moving camera shot with the, with the cars and tracking shots and it just has such a great rhythm and you got peppers getting nervous for no reason in it you you know Look but at that oh that's awesome <laughs> if this movie wasn't at least nominated for sound then something's it really did a, screwed up it did a that's, lot i love that shot yes. of, of happy just holding up the briefcase it did a, a lot of um um, parts where there would be an electrical sound that would just where it almost mm -hmm. overtakes the soundtrack and goes yes. blank, and it gives yeah, you that a really coming up coming yeah. up here. It, it yeah. does it a lot. Yeah, when he's got Iron Man fully around the neck with yes. his whip and just zapping the shit out of him, you can tell that somebody fired up a Tesla coil and just got right up to it with the recorder. Yeah, yeah they they overdrove, they overdrove it to the point of where the the micro, you know, they they may have simulated that, but they did the like this is a microphone that's being driven over, which is funny because in reality you don't hear that's not how your ears would hear it, but we're used to hearing that and it really works and it makes things really intense that I part i will admit is a little cheesy i think it's a little overkill yeah it's a it's a little dark night actually i think but yeah with the i remember seeing uh you know stills when they were working on them you know like publicity stills of mickey rourke in this outfit walking down the middle and just thinking I don't know about Iron Man 2. And I love it. He looks really... Yeah. I mean, it's not what I expected. He knows... He know, his body is a prop now, and he knows oh, how yeah. to use it. 
he knows how to take his big old his hands look like Vienna sausages, you know, right. like hot dogs. And he knows how to pick up a little te- like a toothpick and make it look like this little teeny tiny thing compared to his hands and put it in his mouth. And it just makes him look like a tough guy, like somebody who's just been basically getting the shit beat out of him and beating the shit out of everybody his entire life. That's awesome. <laughs> See, he's a good he's a good villain. He's I still mm-hmm. I kind I still kind of like him. I still kind of understand where he's right. coming from, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he definitely is he's a got, sympathetic villain. He's yeah, got his point. Yeah. Yeah, he's not completely just you know, evil or or insane. He's actually rather he's got, sympathetic. He's got a real motivation. Right. You know, and it's that's the kind of thing that motivates people like that, seeing their their, you know, father die in front of them or their, you know. Was it his father or was it just his mentor? That was his dad. Ow. <laughs> Ow. Kai is tough, man. <laughs> Imagine there'd be a bit of internal bleeding by now. That's I yeah. love that shot. That's cool, and you can see the glowy bits. Well, they really except for the music here. This is where, I mean, I love John Debney, uh, Debney anyway, but this is where it won me over with the with the new composer. I was like, oh yes, finally we get an Iron Man theme, which is what the first one really lacked. Yes, I, well, I remember. It was Todd Grady and I did the review of this when it came out. And uh, I, I remember like looking, the soundtrack wasn't out, so I'm like, I'll just get the Iron Man 1 soundtrack. And I'm like, this is all ACDC right songs. There. That one right there was the one that's used at the beginning of Comics Monthly Monday every uh, month. And this this part right here, one hundred percent comic book. That one right there. Oh, yeah. that's great! Just with the sizzling. sparks just dropping down to the like it's an arc welder. Yeah. Now see, this is I this see... is comic book right here. Oh yes. This is like see, at the end I of the Hulk when they're where he learned from this fight. You know, with his next armor, when he fights Thor and Thor tries to fry him, he just absorbs the energy. Yes. My only regret with this scene is that that's the end of this armor, because I loved that that version of the armor. I thought that was really cool because it was lean and mean, you know, it was plus it was the the scarlet and silver uh, color scheme, too. Those guys look like rebel pilots in the background. Did you see them standing there with their white hats and orange jumpsuits? I don't know if I would crush that. I would want to study it to see what yeah. I was up to. I That's love that look on his face. This is great. He plays a great smarmy prick. Now tell me this scene right here isn't the interrogation scene from Dark Knight. Oh. Done better. I think it's a lot better. You know why? Because Robert Downey Jr. has got a little bit of humanity and humor to him. 
Plus, I can understand everything that both actors are saying. <laughs> and one of them doesn't even speak English as their first language. Or their character doesn't, anyway. I like this scene a lot. I think the dialogue's fantastic, which is another thing I've heard, you know, another complaint I've heard leveled against this movie is that the dialogue's not very good. I think the dialogue ah. in this scene is fantastic. Are you kidding me? I love, uh, you know, when... Uh, when Venko says, you know, that, uh, you know, if, if you could make God bleed, people would cease to believe. Oh, that's a great line. Are you kidding me? And there would be blood in the water. And I mean, it's it's classic that, you know, OK, Tony beat him, but he had to come back because Venko told him I win. And mm-hmm. he's going, why did he win? Why did it? Because, you know, it's that obsessive billionaire brain. That ego, you know, that made made him have to have this little uh, confrontation here, and I I, I re- remember a lot of the critics were kind of hard on Mickey Rourke because they were like, ah, he's not too deep, he's just playing his Mickey Rourke thing, but that's perfect for a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. You want those thin comic book characters with enough extra to sell it, like Superman the movie, you know? Right, and. Uh, they do it. Is any of this look really his? What do you mean? Uh, Mickey Rourke. I, see, I'm not really familiar with him. Uh, again, he's one of those actors I never really cared for. I don't think it's. I think he's wearing a wig. I don't think the the and and tattoo makeup. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I was wondering because I'm not familiar enough with him. Because wasn't he one of those actors that had like a famous train wreck at some point in his life? I think he had like. 18 fa- famous right you mean as in bad <laughs> movies well no i mean just like wasn't he one that was kind of like a like a nick nolte or yes. one of them guys that had like a famous like crash meltdown something he just had i think he had a string of bad movies so i mean i was looking at him in this and going all right is is that all completely the character or is some of that actually him you know with the tattoos and the scars and the messed up teeth and all that i i wasn't really sure well he used to be sort of built like bruce willis he used to be very similar to bruce willis in a lot of ways and now and he was in that movie the the fighter by the same guy who directed the black swan and i think he won an oscar for that i i don't know if he won best actor won best picture or something yeah i remember that and you know and it it was in Sin City that we really got introduced to the new grizzled steroids kind. Of, I don't, you know, I imagine it's steroids, but the pumped up Mickey Rourke, you know. Yeah. We're now in his in his late 50s, I think he is. He's this, you know, he's like Schwarzenegger in reverse, you know. <laughs> now he's buff and humongous where before he was he was a tough guy actor. But he wasn't like, bro, you know, a monster, you know, like he is in, in this and in Sin City and The Fighter. Right. So, I mean, it's really this is only his third. Iconic Mickey Rourke as, you know, the guy that they just dumped out of the sand blaster. But I love characters. I, I mean, it, it's great character actors. It reminds me of Will Sampson, the. American Indian guy from One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest <laughs> and a bunch of other movies. I 
That's a nice Bobby scene Downey too. Jr. Yeah, it is. He's he's probably a little too old <laughs> for the role, but they they pull it off. I like how this all goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, it, it, pure improvisation. He thinks he's in prison, and just how how he plays along with how he sees what's going on, and and works with it is just a great testament to his uh, his intelligence. This is a very dark night scene too. You know, mm-hmm. the the way, you know, so somebody actually sacrifices people to get him out of here. Get people who are going to, you know, going to die. That guy looks like a little like uh, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Exploding mashed potatoes. Awesome. That's what I'm ordering for my last meal when I'm on. <laughs> hey, where are you going? No, Cafe 2. Oh, huh. yeah. How you been? <laughs> Fine, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I am not. Uh, this is hilarious. Not <laughs> <laughs> up like the Elephant Man right now. It's actually that a reference of that coming up. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. That's some. Oh, that's some, funny. I never caught that before. Nice. You're right. Yeah. It's a great scene too. Yeah. Here it comes. Being, <laughs> it's awesome. That's great. <laughs> and I always love the scenes where you have guys like this that are just like, you know, he looks like a bar fighter, <laughs> smartest guy in the room. You know, most of the time his, you know, his IQ is way beyond Rockwell's. I like how he looks at all the waiters, too. It's just like, right. It's funny because Sam Rockwell, I think, thinks he's impressing him right right now, and he's making him hate him. Everything mm-hmm. he's doing is making Mickey Rourke, or, or what's his name? Dra- not I want to call him Dra- I, Ivan. Ivan, uh, yeah, I know Ivan Drag. It's Ivan uh, Venko, right? Oh, isn't that his name? Yeah. Every everything, every every little cue here of how rich he is and powerful he is makes him just hate him more. You know, it's it's so funny. He's just thinking to himself, how can I get whatever I want out of him? He does, too. And and discard him. He's, 
he's thinking to himself, I'm the luckiest boy in the world right now. <laughs> I like that he is uh, also pretending that he doesn't speak English that well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's scared of him, too. You can see it. I love it. I want to know why Tony Stark has a Jack Skellington statue in the background there in his I, house. Why he isn't getting these two drunk and trying to get them. <laughs> <laughs> the question of the hour. Now off there to the uh, right. Oh, no, never mind. Now I got a better look at it this time. I was thinking that might have been footage from, um, from the Hulk. Because later on in the movie... In the scene, when one of the scenes with uh, with Nick Fury, there is footage from the Hulk. Right, which I right. It's pretty Just cool. sort of going on in the background. It's a good scene too. It reminds me of that um, movie theater restaurant at Disney. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I'd be like, yeah, great. I get to go fly out in my Iron Man suit and crush some tanks. <laughs> that would be awesome. And the whole Tony Stark alcoholic thing. They under the, it's it's there. But they don't overdo it, you know. Yeah, I was actually glad that they kind of sort of tiptoe around the demon in a bottle story, but they didn't do a, a straight up adaptation. Right. Because I, I think that's a little too. Um, it's a different Tony Stark. This guy could still be. It's a different Tony Stark, but I, I think I think that was an obvious route to take. So I'm glad they didn't take it yet touched on it somewhat you know what yes. i mean they, they integrated it into a larger story rather than making it the story I, I like that idea i like that idea a lot actually well it's you know it's a it's a good moral story in an iron man comic comic yeah but in a movie you know there's been plenty of movies about alcoholics and reco- you know recovery okay. or hitting rock bottom in alcohol I don't want to see it in the Iron Man movie. It just doesn't seem like an interesting plot to me. It, it's a, you know, like you said, it's a very good story. But yeah, is, is it enough to carry a, you know, a multi-million dollar, you it, know, it could franchise? Be, but I don't really want to see the movie about that. You know, right? I want. I, I, I like. I like that they have elements and nods of it in there, but that's that's about fine. If they're going to take stories from, you know, the classic uh, Michelini Leighton era and and adapt them into the feature films, I'd much rather see the story arc where, uh, and I think that they could totally do this, where um, 
Tony Stark took an interest and, and took pity on Bruce Banner and brought him to Stark Labs with the full intention of curing him. And through a you know a series of events, kind of made the situation worse to the point where there was a full blown, you know, knockdown drag out fight between the Hulk and Iron Man. That that was a I mean I don't know if you've ever read that. No. That's an incredible story. But they were getting a little bromancy in uh, adventures. Yeah. yeah, very much. That's why I think you could totally do that story now, and I think it could be really really exciting. Because that was one of those stories I felt was was long overdue. By the time they did it, it was like with all these geniuses out there in the in the Marvel universe, instead of trying to constantly destroy the Hulk, why didn't somebody like Tony Stark or Reed Richards take pity on this poor bastard and try to help him? You know, and that was the whole point of that story is that's exactly what Tony did. He was like, you know what? You know, this guy didn't ask for this life. You right, know, it's not like he drank the Jekyll and Hyde formula, you know. Right. He's just a schmuck. I love it. It's like a video game. <laughs> Checking his his power. Right. I heard the game based on this one wasn't very good. I, I know Scotty loved the one for uh, the first for one. Iron Man one video game, but I, I guess the second one wasn't very good. I don't know. I never played it myself just based off the uh, reviews and such. You see, I think she's really good looking. She's not as good an actress as Gwyneth Paltrow. She's not that good of a... An... She's not a bad actress, but she's not, you know, she's a little wooden, you know, she's in, in this movie especially. In the Avengers, not so much. Avengers, she was, she had a little, seemed to have a little more personality. Right. But then again, they were probably trying to keep her somewhat in the background in this movie. You know, they were probably trying to monitor how much attention that they paid to her because they knew her time would come. They're paying a lot of attention to her left boob right now. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I, I would. Yes, partially. <laughs> One day we'll do the Pete Hesh Iron Man movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is some Zeppelin. <laughs> Julian! <laughs> this scene, I think, is very well played because it has. It could have been a really cheesy the, scene. Yeah, it, it skirts the edge of being. The dancing Spider-Man scene yes. in Spider-Man Three, but this, unlike that scene, is actually necessary for you to see, you know, where he's going, and it leads to you know the whole thing with with Rhodey taking the the other suit and everything. So it is a necessary scene, but yes, it does skirt that edge. You know, it's it's a real tight wire act for a moment here. It's great because up till this point in the movie, yeah, you would not want the government to, but you're starting to think, yeah, <laughs> this could go really badly. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. has had a lot of um, 
research into this uh <laughs> into the drunken role though, so he does it really oh, well. Yes. Look at the boobies. I know, and they'll go, ah. I wonder if any of the booze in this is real, because he's, he's a recovering alcoholic, isn't he? Does, he? Yeah, he can't go near the booze, but I'm sure he knows. <laughs> he's an actor. It was probably really sucked for him to have to play, dr play drunk and drink fake booze and stuff. But that's his job, so... Whoops! Just take somebody's head right off. <laughs> Yay! Oh, yeah. We almost died! Oh, yeah. Ha ha ha! Flying glass is hilarious! <laughs> <laughs> Ow, my eye! <laughs> I really do like the music in this one. That's it. Bounce just a little more. You see, I think it's a little awesome. implausible that he would go put on a suit of armor because that's almost like throwing gasoline onto a fire, you know? He needs a little deeper voice for the for the scenes like that. I get think. out, get out. I mean it now. Come on, really. Come on, guys. Come on, seriously, you guys, get out. Come on, would you? That was like me when I was a doorman <laughs> at a bar. I do like this scene. That's cool. He does that same maneuver against Thor in the Avengers. <laughs> Cap does that same maneuver. I want a rock. This is this awesome. is something great about just something heavy bouncing off Doink. the side of someone's head. <laughs> Well, it's funny because this is almost like a little play on video games, too. Like the yes. whole, you know, the way they're bantering with each other are like two friends playing a video game where they're beating the crap out of each other. Yep. Oh, and in a way, it is sort of a big boy millionaire version of a video game. <laughs> Notice oh. the crowd are just are still hanging around. I would be out of there. See, some of those sound effects, though, are weird because it makes it sound like it's completely hollow, you know? Right, like it's not filled with a dense human body. <laughs> Ow. That's great. Oh, he has uh -huh. to snap his head out. 
Don't have to do this, Tony. Come on, really. You would think that Tony would probably be able to shut down the other suit from his suit, you know? Right. Yeah, because later on he does try. Well, of course, he's drunk, too. So yeah. He's just thinking clearly. But, yeah, he does that later in the movie. He has Jarvis try to tap into the other mm-hmm. suit. I think you just have to be like, you know, Code Alpha. Right. Picard. Double Y. <laughs> Second seven three. <laughs> You're some stupid thing, yeah. I'll get you, bastards. <laughs> hey, mister, my mom's having a baby. I learn how to fly pretty quick. Yeah. Now I've hear, heard that leveled as like a serious criticism against the movie. I'm like, come on, really? Right. I mean, yes, okay. So we learned how to fly like really, really quick, but that's gonna destroy your entire enjoyment of a movie of two guys in fantastical metal armor. Exactly. You yeah. know, that just beat the hell out of each other. That that's your point, you know, that's your bridge too far. Well, there's the job I used to do. That's a great shot. Yeah. They do a good job with a lot of the equipment in this. That looked a little CG. But like the car crashes and on in the in the race and stuff, they made it look very oh, practical effects. Yeah, a lot a lot of times. It's pretty cool. I wonder what Air Force Base said it. Did it say which base it was? I don't know. It looks like they're gonna go bring it in next to the Ark, though. <laughs> This is what I'd be doing if I was uh, Iron Man 2. God, I haven't heard that Beastie Boys song in a long time. I wonder what piece of music that was. Beastie Boys. From their, probably their best album. This totally makes me think that it's like the restaurant scene in Pulp Fiction that somebody's going to come in and rob the place. <laughs> Pull out his badass motherfucker wallet. <laughs> and I don't like these snakes on my plane. <laughs> Just do one now, donuts on a plane. Is that the same outfit she's wearing in Avengers? More or less. It looks like it. Her hair looks different in Avengers. It looks yeah. straighter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Samuel Jackson is like Nicholson. He's just like going to be. He's a little too Samuel L. Jackson in this part, though. I wish he was a little bit gruffer and, and a little sterner. You know what I mean? That's cool. That's a good effect. See, I think she's a little young to be playing the character she's playing with the backstory that she supposedly has. Yeah, you know but I mean? they knew they'd get a mil- that, that that would be a big draw with nerd oh, guys, yeah. you know. Right. They're guys in general. <laughs> right. But the nerd guys know that they're going to get to see her beat people up. That guy playing the whatever he is, Butler or whatever, is, he looks really familiar to me too, but I can't yes. think of where I'm from. He's probably been like a night clerk at a hotel in a million movies and, you know, a gas station attendant and principal at a high school. He's just got that or a gangster. Right. He's got that classic character. I love how he's just sort of shaking his head in the background. Like I said, even the most incidental characters in here still have little quirks and little character ticks that make them real. I just had a thought. Is this the same lab complex thing from the original Tron? It sure looked like it in that one moment, didn't it? Right there. From that angle, it looks a lot like that. What is it? The digitizing platform or whatever? Yeah. Well, I mean... There's a lot of factories that sort of look like that anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um, the one that I worked in in Minnesota that my dad and I were working on looked a lot like that. Have you ever seen um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? No. Oh. He plays uh he plays Chuck Barris. And it's Chuck Barris's autobiography about how he was an undercover spy for the CIA. Who plays him? Rourke? Uh no. Um, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Oh. And I would I, like to see that. It is fantastic. I could see him as Chuck Barris. Oh, he he becomes Chuck Barris, but Chuck Barris is a crazy man. And when he wrote his, it's based on his autobiography and half of it's about how, when he was doing the gong show, he was really a super secret assassin for the CIA (laughs) and getting flown to like Russia. And, you know, I think he had, I think he like had this romance with a woman and he had to kill her, you know, all this really, you know, dramatic stuff that he wrote in to make his auto to zing up his uh, autobiography. (laughs) <laughs> so it's great and the movie's directed where sometimes they do scene changes without changing the camera so he'll be doing something he'll be doing the show and the sets will start moving away and all of a sudden the other sets will come in and he'll he'll be on another set all of a sudden and plus it's got Gene Gene the dancing machine 
actual interviews with Gene Gene Dance, the Dancing Machine, put in there, <laughs> who's and and it acknowledges how awesome Gene Gene the Dancing Machine is. <laughs> Now you see, I think this is a little little uh bit too much having two scenes, two very similar scenes between these two characters sort of right in a row, you know. Yeah, one in the restaurant and then one here yeah. doing the same sort of thing. They could have compressed the uh the interior of the restaurant scene into this scene, I yes. think, cuz this scene I like a lot. He's being a little more Nick Fury here. Right, exactly. And a little less Samuel Jackson. Yeah, that's why I like this scene better. Plus, I mean, I think there's some really good dialogue in this scene. This this line right here. I love that line. Never told me you loved me. Never even told me you liked me. I, I love that. That's... I hope they do explore this relationship between Fury and uh, and Howard Stark in later films, though, because I'd love to know how do they know each other. Because I would think that Howard Stark would have been a, would quite be a bit a older, a lot older than yeah. Maybe Howard Stark isn't dead. That's cheesy. one of the few moments in the movie i don't really like that that was a really cheesy line i don't believe that tony stark wouldn't have said something had another line to come back with it you know right on that i like him yeah he looks like like such a little wimpy nerdy guy yep and I like that there's a little bit of a uh, little bit uh, Pepper Potts is checking him out a little bit in this movie. There's definitely yeah. some sparks between the two of them. And it's on the down low. They don't really play it, but you can see it. You see it happen. There's like three good, good scenes where you're like, ah, oh, maybe these two are gonna hook up. And you see, I don't. I never followed. You mean Pepper it. and Coulson? Yeah. In this one? I believe so. I believe it's in this one. I have to watch for that. I I think they definitely take a shine to each other. I like this scene a lot. See, I know that there's some scenes between them in the Avengers. I don't. I'm trying to remember scenes between the two of them in, in this one. I don't remember off the top of my head. That guy next to Don Cheadle looks a lot like, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Michael J. Fox, doesn't he? Hang on, I gotta get another. Sometimes Sam Rockwell looks a little like... Oh, he does. He looks like Michael J. Fox with a weird haircut. <laughs> with a kind of an awkward haircut. How many movies have there been with this sequence in it, though? With the gun dealer. 
Yeah, but he he's fun to watch. It, yeah, yeah. He's really good. You gotta see Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I'm I'm giving you that as homework. And Moon, he's oh my god, he's fantastic in Moon. See, this scene right here makes me think that they if if the Iron Man 2 video game really isn't any good, then somebody missed a prime opportunity because you could have done part of that game as War Machine with mm-hmm. all these awesome weapons and everything and, and done kind of a GTA engine on it, free roam with you just flying around just you know, just raising hell and it would be leveling fun. cities. Yeah. You know, with a with a minigun on your shoulder and these missile things, and I, I, that would be awesome. Nothing wrong with that, yeah. That would be a lot of fun. There's a British actor, too, that when that guy looks straight on, he looks like that... Stephen Fry. He looks a little like this British comedian actor, Stephen Fry, too, the Michael J. Fox guy. Uh, that name sounds familiar. I can't, I can't picture what he looks like, though. It's a lot like that guy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what is it? What has he been in, though? I don't know. <laughs> British stuff. Out. He's been in a few American movies too, actually. I think. Huh, Zepcon. Okay. Captain America number one. That's awesome. Uh-huh. I would love somebody to leave me a trunk with a Captain America number one in it. Are you kidding? Kodak, that's great. I love, love this part. Well, I love that this is the outtakes where he's swearing a little bit. <laughs> I wonder if something like oh, that would really show exists. you my ass. Oh, yeah, yep. I, you know that there's got to be, it was based on some Disney outtake or something. Although I doubt very much Disney. I don't oh, know yeah, if it's I never see would, it. Would, would would really let anybody see an outtake that he did. That's great. Look that at the cube look within a cube's a tesseract. Mmm. He's looking at that like I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. It's it's that. That's his memories of his dad. See, and there's a nice parallel between the two of them. Well, the the whole thing of him swearing in his, <laughs> uh, you know that that's also another thing that's very similar to him, and that's also what catches it, his attention is. Yeah. He's like, yeah, my dad was kind of a smart ass like me too. Yep. He start. I, I think I love this scene because, w- without saying anything, yeah, you can see that he's drawing the parallels between the two of them. He's a really good actor. Yeah, he's thinking of a bunch of stuff at the same time. I love this scene. This could also be very cheesy, but they pull it off perfectly. It's got one of my favorite lines coming up.
that line right god i love that because it's a message in a bottle you know sent through time yeah it's it's just awesome yep and it's it's very walt disney it's it's very acknowledging that like in the future you know i know in the future that this is they're gonna catch up on this you know i I find incredible parallels in that scene to the real Walt because I don't know that Walt ever felt um, constrained by the technology of his time. But oh, I'm I sure know he did. Toward the end of his life, I'm you know, sure whenever told... Walt Disney was, he would feel constrained by the technology of his time. That would I remember what makes people like that innovators. You know the the book I would love to read someday, or some you know the movie I'd love to see, or something like that, is uh, you know he told Ron Miller, his son-in-law, not long before he died, that all he felt he needed was fifteen more years, and he knew he wasn't going to get them. Yeah, but in order to fulfill all the dreams that he'd had up to that point you know, with Epcot and all these other ideas that were rolling around in his brain, he just wanted 15 more years. And I've always thought, you know, wouldn't that be a great story? How different would the world be today if he got those 15 years? And Bill O'Reilly does a great job. Sorry to interrupt, but he does a great job of playing Bill O'Reilly in this. (laughs) He like, I mean, it's, it sounds exactly. All right. This scene is an editor's nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> I cannot believe that they filmed that they that they did this in the scene. Just made their, that thing. You mean that thing? They cut. Watch how it turns, and they're cutting back and forth between these two people. That thing is in a different position every you know all the time. Yet they do it's cut right. it correctly. Right. They cut it at the same place. That means they had to wait. He had to time, they each had to time their conversation so that when they cut it back and forth, that it would be, unless they had two cameras going there, but it doesn't, I don't think they really did because of the angles of the camera. It's, it's possible. And I love, and, and I, and you sit there and you watch it and you're distracted by it. And then finally he's like, can I move away from this thing? It's a great acknowledgement of it yet. Also, brilliantly, you can see just a little bit of it in the the side mm-hmm. of the screen, just sort of. He's really good at building up a sort of pressure and tension whenever these two are around each other. Oh yeah, they've got great uh, chemistry and sexual tension. Between sexual tension, yeah. and he it, it it's played up beautifully in this. She's really phenomenal in this scene because she's perfectly pulling off what I always call the business bitch, which I can't stand in women, you know. But she's doing it beautifully in this scene. Well, she has to. Right. She has to in order to she she is she's the only person who can wrangle him. And usually I would be like, "Come on, these guys should be scrogging by now." In reality, they would but I, as an actress, I buy that she's like, I'm not going to do him, you know, until certain requirements <laughs> are met. She looks like she can barely breathe and barely move in yes. that outfit. Yes, yeah, she looks very awkward in this movie. She does a lot of, like, 
she's been posed and told just to move her head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's very, it's very off-putting. And when you get her in the Avengers, it's like, ah, finally, she looks like she's in her element. I think they did that personally. I think they just, you know. Um, could you lean over a little more, please? <laughs> Yeah, she's she's just she's kind of Liam Neeson. Liam ne- Neeson. Oh Jesus! Yes. Kind yeah. of a stick of wood. Yeah. <laughs> Throw in the trash. I love that. <laughs> that might have been a little bit of improv too. That that ended up in the movie. I have a feeling <laughs> he just dumps his just shit dumps all, over all over the place. <laughs> What's funny about this scene, though, is I don't know if you ever experienced anything like that. I sympathize so strongly with him in this scene where he got her the strawberries because he knew there was some correlation between her and the strawberries only it was yeah it was that that was the thing but i've been in that exact situation in a relationship where i forgot what the deal was but i knew that there was you know a connection between this and that you know and peanuts and then she ended up having to go to the emergency room (laughs) exactly exactly that sort of thing so that's very i thought that was a great little did you go like close your eyes and open your mouth (laughs) oh i do that anyway but you know yeah right And yeah, and it's usually followed right by be- a trip to the emergency room too. Right, right, right before the restraining order, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yes, I like that. Uh, I I I really think pretty soon we will have stuff like this where you know, you just have sort of have a free roaming display mm-hmm. that you can whip around like that and I really like that there's a good deal of both of these Iron Man movies that show him in creative mode, you know? Yes. Show him problem solving and how his mind, you know. Well, wasn't that your complaint with, like, say, like the Batman, the Nolan Batmans, is that he never really takes time to, to be a detective? No, he sits in front of the computer and then Alfred tells him. <laughs> Especially, it's in, you haven't seen Dark Knight Rises, but yeah, that's that—that's his detective work. Is he looks at the screen and then Alfred comes in and goes, "Ah, this is what you're seeing," and that's that's it. This you see him problem solving and mm-hmm. and how his brain works and how he figures things out. And it could be very cheesy, but once again, they they sell it. It's ro- a lot of it's Robert Downey Jr. I have to admit, though, I think that that um, um, goatee is very distracting. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it will, it will, it will not. It, ten years from now, they're gonna be like, "Oh, jeez, <laughs> look at that goatee. That's so, so. Oh, what was this? Two thousand and ten. Yeah, that's the thing about the the this new century. There's no, you know, 
it just doesn't work out anymore is like that's so 70s or that's so 80s you have to come up with some the aughts or the turn of the century <laughs> you can so say turn aughty. of the century now again and right yeah and it's a different turn of the century well we need a few more years on it too before you know we look back on that that decade with any sense of Ident, you know, I, being able to identify it as right. that, as that de- you know, because we're just, I think we're just now getting to that point with the 90s. Yes. Where you look back at something and go, oh, that's very 90s. I, I think that took a lot longer. But the aughts, yeah, that's going to take a while. <laughs> we're only three years now. Even, huh? We're only three years out of the aughts anyway. Even though. The uh, that's a nice little nod to the Easter egg in the first movie. Even though the What's, tag scene, what? this is a great like. He goes, you know what this is? He's a collector. Yep. And you don't even that 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 little quirk of his doesn't even get brought up again till the Avengers. I love that. Mm-hmm. So they were they'd even thought of that at the at this point in this movie. I think they're thinking way ahead in these movies. Mm -hmm. And and the more I go back and watch these lead up movies to the Avengers, the more I appreciate that fact that I think that they are really they're either really thinking ahead or they're going back themselves and pouring over these movies and going, let's play that up. Yes. It'll make us look like geniuses if we take that element and turn it into this or play on that or expound on whatever. I I think that's awesome. Then people are going to see this and think we thought of it in the past. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really do. But uh, the hell was I going to say? Oh, uh, even though the the cut scene at the area of the tag scene at the end is Coulson finding Mjolnir. I think this was supposed to be taking place concurrently with the events in Thor. That At least that's my feeling with this. Because I used to feel like when Fury was talking about something going on in the Midwest, or I thought he was talking about the Hulk because the Hulk stories, you know, the comics, the classic Hulk stuff all took place out in the deserts and stuff. But then I got to thinking about it. No, the Hulk movie, the Ed Norton movie, took place in New York. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's talking about Thor, right? That would make more sense. That was definitely out there. And that was definitely set in the desert. (laughs) I like that little scene. I love the music in the scene, too. This is one of those really weird soundtracks where I really enjoy the music in the movie, but I it's find the album much. a little a little generic when I when I try to just listen to, you know, just the score on its own. But I really think it works well in the movie. Well, I don't think it's as much of a score to the action, you know, it's more right. atmospheric score. Right. I do like Debney a lot though. I, I think he's a really good composer. He's another element to me that, you know, Disney's this movie up that much more because he's got such a strong connection with uh, with Disney and the, and the parks and that sort of thing. He's done a lot, a lot of work for Disney. Who, Mickey Rourke or Sam Rockwell? 
No, uh, John Debney, the composer. Oh, the composer. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. It looks like a lightsaber spine. It reminds me of a weapon from, uh, I don't know if you ever played it, there was a Tron 2.0 video game. And there was a weapon that was kind of, I'm trying to remember what the weapon was now. Was it a sniper rifle, I think? Something like, it looked a lot like that. It was really cool. Because, you know, the primary weapon in that, of course, was the, the discs. You know, they would throw the discs like they did in the original. But then they had all these other new light weapons that they would use. And one of them was a sniper rifle, which was really cool. I can't believe uh, we haven't brought up Lumia yet. That's true, yeah. I like that. Take his shoes. He's got left and right written on his feet. <laughs> I love how he's trying to be a tough guy. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. <laughs> but you see, the, the great acting of Mickey Rourke is like when they pulled his shoes off and the way his feet just flop down like two you know, um, Christmas logs, you know, like, uh, what the hell was that company that used to make the, the Christmas gift baskets, Pepperidge farm, Pepperidge (laughs) farm, olive loaves. I love this look coming up here in just a moment. These guys are trying to look all badass. Uh-huh. Look at that lucky guy. <laughs> he looks at one and just like looks over the other one. It's like, okay, not to be trifled with. Meanwhile, this guy, you know, this guy's a product of grinding poverty yep. in a third world country. Look. They're all staring him down. Watch. I watch. must break you, pussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it. That laugh was just like, what was that all about? Whoa, tough guy. <laughs> I love that. The sack's on the floor and the bird's on his shoulder. And the guards were hung by the chimney with care. (laughs) He's got a little blood on his pinky. That's great. Well, just his body, like the way he's got his hand bent at that 90 degree angle. Mm -hmm. He's just, you know, he's working his body to it's awesome. He's just, he's like a a puppet or uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> show the bird again show the bird again <laughs> I just thought of something oh they're not going to do it they're just showing that bird on his shoulder and I was thinking of that other Monty Python one where the newscasters keep turning into pirates oh, that's right <laughs> <laughs> one sees a bird and just like knocks it off his shoulder <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, meanwhile, Tony's 
having Iron Man gasm. <laughs> okay, freeze frame. It's funny how their asses are whooshing in exactly this. <laughs> yeah. This is so cheesy. Well, it's, but it's, I mean, because it's it's such a wannabe. Stuff. Yeah. And he's like... Well, there's a, there's a great reaction shot here in a second with Pepper. She's just looking like, what the hell was both that of, all Both about? of them are just like, oh, Jesus, he thinks he's Tony, you know? <laughs> Why they didn't get MC Hammer to come back for this scene? <laughs> no. MC Hammer Industries, yes. <laughs> he could have come in and sang uh, Ninja Rap or whatever the hell that oh, was. God. Was it him that sang yeah. that? Or was that Ice? Uh, what, uh, no, Vanilla? I, that I, I don't know. One of those guys. Oh my God. He just gets a little smattering of applause. He's just like such a lame It's awesome. See, I think another thing where this movie really has it over the other one, you know, the first one is I, I think that the, the big epic battle ender for the movie is is that much better in this. You know, you've got much more of a threat, a lot more action and flying around and shooting and blowing shit up and everything. I mean, the first one, to my recollection, you know, it has been a while since I've seen the first one, so maybe I'm being, you know, too harsh on it, but... I just I remember the the first one. It's like Stain comes out in his armor, which it was he a boss to, battle. Yeah, he learned to to use the armor in like ten minutes. Comes out, they beat the hell out of each other. It's a quick boss battle. Tony takes him down, and that's it. Now I, I was left feeling like, wow, you know that really there wasn't a whole lot of payoff to all that build up. No. Plus, I don't this know. This is kind of a boss battle too, but this is a way better boss battle. Right, yeah, I think so I mean, granted, he takes down Venko essentially just as fast, if not faster, than he took down Stain. But you've got all this preamble stuff with with the this. the drones, yeah. which you know I, I think it you know it worked. It, this you know this really is a video game. You fight your way through all the minions, and then you take you know take on the boss. That is cool, though. I thought it was a little early for a War Machine, but then once I saw him in this, I was like, okay. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is pretty badass. But going back to Stain for a minute, though, I thought it was a little bit early to use that villain because he had a really good storyline in the comics. I don't know if you ever read it. No. End of that character in the comics was a lot more dramatic because he essentially, you know, when Tony was at like his lowest point and really had descended, you know, full fledged into his alcoholism and everything, he took Stark Industries away from Tony and reforged it into his own company, Stain Enterprises. Tony fights his way back and they have this like epic battle in, uh, I think it was issue 200, if I'm not mistaken, where at the end of it, after Iron Man defeats Stain, Stain's left with feeling like his only his only option, his only way out is suicide. 
So he takes his helmet off, puts his repulsor to his head and blows his brains out. And it was like a holy shit kind of ending, you know, it was really, really intense. Wow. Yeah. Wait, I got to read that. <laughs> it's good. I, I think you'd enjoy it. It's, it's really good. Oh, my eye. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's getting glass dropped on them in this one. All the bystanders anyway. Yeah, I was thinking about this today, that there's no way that all this stuff happens here and there's not some serious casualties at the end of the day. Yeah. See right there, he's trying to break in on... Mm -hmm. uh... See, I love this. I I think this is some fantastic... That's a great shot. All the flying shots. Look at all the bullets that they're just spreading all over the whole area. There's just bullets and missiles flying. Yeah. Every... yeah. They're tracers. There's no way that they're not going through some people up oh, there. Oh, yeah, just sh- turning people into mist. But once again, you know, at this point, you know. I like this. I like this scene. I like how Pepper deals with him. I can't decide if I'm really, really happy or a little bit disappointed that there wasn't some sort of little in-joke made about uh, Men in Black with the venue here, though, because those tower things, yeah. just remember, they were they turned out to be spaceships in uh, Men in Black, the first Men in Black, which I always thought was very ingenious. See, I want one of those posters. I love it. It's the, like, Black Widow just extracts the information from him and she just punks him down. He's just nothing, you know? Those things are cool. <laughs> like, he called them hemorrhoids. <laughs> or did he say that yet? He says something about a hemorrhoid attack, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> well, see, you were saying about Favreau and, and Iron Man 3 and everything. While he's not directing, he is going to be in it as happy again. So I would imagine he'll probably have at least a, some influence on it. Of, yeah. But then again, he's a director, so he'll probably, you know, respect the other director. He'll probably try extra hard to be like, you know, hey, I'm just an actor in this time, you know. But yeah. I would hope that I would hope that whoever the new director is pays attention to these movies and and did uses the same elements that they work. Didn't offer it to him, do you know? What's that? Did he pass on it, or they didn't even offer it to him? Do you know? I don't remember what the reasoning was. It might have been that he was doing something. He was going to do something else. Oh, that's right. Come to think of it, isn't he? He's working on the the Magic Kingdom movie. I oh, think. right, right. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I was hoping. What I was getting at is, I was really hoping that it wasn't a case of. Uh, I love this part. This would be me not watching the road, looking down her shirt. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I was hoping it wasn't a matter of because of the the. I don't want to say lackluster, but uh, you know the performance of uh, what do you call it, Cowboys versus Aliens, wasn't oh. up to what the you know the expectations and everything. I was hoping it wasn't some sort of you know not punishment, but you know what I mean, some sort of comment on that. Because I think he's a fantastic director, and come on, if Iron Man hadn't worked, we'd have never gotten the Avengers. Well, you know? well. I mean, the, I don't think there was ever a big demand for an Iron Man movie, so it was they they had to sell it to me. I didn't really care to ever see. I to be honest with you, I didn't care to see a Thor movie either. Right. I was not very excited with. I was, I was on the fence about how I felt about Captain America, and Thor and iron man wouldn't have been two of the heroes i would have picked anyway but you know they were doing the avengers so they needed to right but uh yeah they sold me on all of them you know i was i was skeptical of pretty much all the marvel movies the only one that i sort of came into that was like all right let's go was the hulk because i mean you could argue that after iron man you know, if any of them hadn't worked, that maybe the Avengers wouldn't have happened. But definitely Iron Man. If Iron Man 1 hadn't worked, I think that would have been it, you know? Yeah. I, don't, might, think... I don't know. They might have tried to muscle through because they sort of had the... I don't know. They, I, I, If I were them, I would have been had a few plans. In, I would have had a few Splinter of the Mind's Eye plans you know in case they you know it didn't work and maybe have some low budget stuff to to try to muscle through it to get to the avengers but i think by iron man being what it was and being the first one that it both helped um alleviate a little bit the the somewhat disappointing returns on uh, Incredible Hulk that it wasn't, you know, the the big success that they were hoping for, despite being a, a really awesome movie. I think that movie's fantastic. I think but it's it, one it of the best of the pre... I, I do, too. So, you know, Iron Man helped with that, but also I think Iron Man generated that goodwill to where, like you say, if you weren't initially excited about the idea of uh, of a thor or a captain america movie now you might be just by looking at it and going well you know i i didn't really give a shit about iron man either but look how awesome that was mm-hmm. all right i'll i'll go check out thor oh, because for it's sure. you know, oh for and sure and I, I think if if iron man hadn't worked and they decided to forge forward i'm not saying it you know they may not have done the other movies but those movies i don't think they would have done as well and again probably wouldn't have led the same places. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I really think that, you know, right now, Joss Whedon is is everybody's, you know, all the fanboys are, you know, all in love with him and everything. I'm saying, you know, not saying they shouldn't be, but I still think Favreau's the one that really should be getting all the love at the end of the day. Because if it weren't for him, I don't think any of the rest of it would have happened. I really don't. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of people who deserve credit. You know, Robert Downey Jr., whoever oh, cast Robert yeah. Downey Jr., whoever was had the idea that he would be a good 
You know, I I would have not picked him as a Tony Stark. I would have I would have probably screwed up that decision. And now yeah, it's I, almost like you don't want to. You couldn't really picture anybody else, you know. Yeah, and it's funny now looking back on it because I was definitely one of those people that was like, "Really, Robert Downey Jr." Oh, I remember you were not. You were just I was like, not, "I don't no. want to see that." No, because I didn't like him. I I remembered him from you know all his problem days and everything, and I really didn't. I didn't see him in the role. You know, I really was more in love with the idea of you know somebody back in the 90s i think it was had proposed the idea of um um timothy dalton and i was just in love with that idea i thought timothy dalton would have made a fantastic tony Stark. i would have pictured in the 80s the 80s tom Selleck would have made a good tony stark yeah but yeah like you say he has become this role so much now that it's laughable to think, you know, back yeah. on it, go, what was I thinking? Because he really, he really is the character. It's, uh, I, you know, I think they learned a lot from, um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And Johnny Depp. Yeah. Where it was like, it, a lot of these, a lot of these summer blockbuster popcorn muncher movies, you know that they, they put a hero character in it, but they don't put a real, you know, somebody that's really interesting, that almost runs the risk of completely taking over the movie. And Robert Downey Jr. does sort of take over both of these movies, but that's a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. he's 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 not chewing the scenery. He's he's an exaggerated character. But yeah, every. <laughs> I love this. They spend so much time arguing about <laughs> who's going where that they ran out of time. Yeah, it's like the uh, yeah, it was like the last episode of The Walking Dead this season. That <laughs> those goddamn pliers. <laughs> I love the look of this scene. That's awesome. Come on, how can you not love this? This looks like the inside of that the the Epcot ride where they have all the plants and the Yep. That's yeah, a, a pavilion. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's awesome. And see that you know there was talk recently where uh, where Marvel is coming to um, Hong Kong Disneyland. And I mean, I could just see this scene as something like, you know, like Buzz Lightyear, you know, like the Space Ranger spin or something, you know, where you're, you know, you're, you're Iron Man and it's a shooter, you know, you're taking out all these drones. I would love something like that. Are you kidding? That'd be awesome. I hope there's payoff you know, to this scene here. Isn't there some way that they could rig you up into an Iron Man suit? You know, or something like that, you know? I mean, it wouldn't be a good ride if you were claustrophobic. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, you could put a video screen in the head, put, them, put, put you in the suit, 
and basically, you know, spin you, you know, do like they do with um, a combination of the the that mission to Mars ride and the um, right. um, Star Tours. I could see something like that at Disney Quest because there's a game they have there now that's getting a little a little long in the tooth. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I know what it is. It's called Ride the Comics. And it's a virtual reality game where you're basically wielding a lightsaber. But I could see them taking that idea of that face mask, that you know, that VR face mask and redoing it, beefing up the graphics and your Iron Man. I think they could totally do that. <laughs> this is a great scene. Blink. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has his helmet off a little bit too much in this part, though. He's got a little General Grievous going on here. Yeah. Well, see, this is great because it, it basically now he's combining two Iron Man villains. Now you've got Whiplash and um, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be Titanium Man or the Crimson uh, Crimson Dynamo, but one of you know one of those Russian, you know, Iron Man arch enemies. You know what I mean? I think it's supposed to be Titanium Man. I forget, but I don't know. But I think that's great. I mean, I at the end of the day, I could have lived without another armored boss battle. You know, I, I that's kind of what it's almost all about, though. You know, in yeah. some ways, but like, but that's that that's the thing is the characters are so good that you don't really need this. This is this isn't the best part of the movie. It's awesome, right? And it's very comic booky, but it's not the part that. that all the battles in this are not the parts that I remember, except for the the initial attack at the race. Ooh, they're gonna need a shitload of screen doors. <laughs> yeah, it's your diehard reference for the movie, for the commentary. Uh, oh, you yeah. got me, sheriff. Now he's got a little bit of uh, Darth Vader with his helmet off working. <laughs> Tell your sister you were right. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, yeah, really. I, I kind of got that four seconds ago. <laughs> That's cool. Fries are up. <laughs> exactly. Huh? Kiss your ass goodbye. Oh. <laughs> oh, not the Men in Black ride. Meanwhile, Pepper's puked and shit her pants. <laughs> sheer inertial speed. Ah, shut up. I just shat myself. (laughs) Hot redheads aren't supposed to shit themselves. Throw off the building. Hey, 
She was being very annoying there for a moment. Was she the one in uh, Sky Captain? Was that her? I don't. I don't remember. I think so. I think it was her in that. I need to watch that again. That was a good movie too. It was good. It's not on the same level as, as, as this. No. It had a few. This has all the elements. That was like really good, but it was just missing a couple elements. <laughs> I wonder, is that all CGI in the background? You it looks think? like it. Because I don't think Flushing Meadows really looks much like that anymore, does it? My understanding well, is that know. there wasn't much of the old fairground left anymore. I don't know. I've never been never been to Flushing Meadows. I've never been there, but I mean, I've seen pictures yeah. and stuff. There used to be a really good uh, website out there that was one of those like then and now type of websites. You know, like what it looked like. See, there's Hulk footage right there. But it was one of those websites that was like, you know, here's like where this famous event happened, you know, back in the 60s. And like, here's what it looks like today. And there was like very little of it left, basically. See, I was so psyched for these parts of the movie watching this in the theater, you know, just knowing that we're that much closer, you know, I got to tell you, I really wasn't that. I thought the, I, I was like, I'm really digging these ones. I was really pretty much thinking the Avengers would probably suck. It would probably <laughs> be too shoehorned together. That's sort of how I was picturing it. I was like, they're going to, I'm so used to when you get good stuff like this, it gets screwed up eventually. Right. So I was waiting for when it was going to get screwed up, and I assumed it was going to be with the Avengers. I was like, eh, I don't know how they're going to sell it without, you know, all these characters have worked as sort of selling their own movies. But, how you know, I just didn't think it was going to work, and I was completely 100% wrong on that one. Well, see, I liked this. You know the scenes in this with uh, with Fury because yes he showed up at the end of the first one but it was a tag scene and it and right. it was one of those things where you're like there was he that is really really real or was that you know one of those little things you throw in and they may or may not actually pick up and run yes. with that you know. I was and when like, he pops I, up in this, I was like, oh, my God, it, it, it's really real. They they meant that, you know? Yeah, I was I was wondering if we were actually going to eventually see Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Yep. Because so many things can happen. And Samuel Jackson's a kind of actor that, you know, he might have some Oscar winning role to be doing at that time, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Have you seen Django Unchained yet? Are you? Oh my God, no. he's so fantastic in Django Unchained. I keep hearing about. It. I'm gonna have to check that out because I keep hearing about it. It's fantastic. It's what it's. I've watched it like probably like five, six times. 
I will well, say I one thing. Senators. I hope that this is the last Iron Man movie with uh, with uh, ACDC music in it. Though I'm getting really tired of that. Well, it's like, I don't know. I think ACDC has some kind of manager that really likes working movie deals with them. Right. Because they get a lot of, they do a lot of movie sound. Well, they get licensed for a lot of movie. <laughs> I just saw Bill O'Reilly in there. There's himself. And we forgot to point Stan out in the, in the little Stan moment, too. Jack White was... was in it from the White Stripes. That's weird. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So I it. like that they they acknowledge. You know, they got not just Stan, but they got you know Don Heck and Jack Kirby, Larry Lieber. That's pretty cool. And there's a great little moment a little bit later in the credits where uh, you know they basically throw it acknowledges to a, a lot of the people that shaped the character over time. The very first one on the list, John Byrne. I was like, oh, that's awesome. They got, uh, what is it, John Byrne, Gene Cullen, Mac Fraction. Um, and then there were a couple I didn't... Kevin Hopgood? I have no idea who that, who that is. is. Yeah, I don't know. It was that one. There was The two that I didn't know was Kevin Hopgood and Don Rico. I was like, I don't... That, they must be either really, really far back or really, really recent, one of the two, because I don't recognize either one of those names. But uh, Len Kaminsky, Bob Layton, of course, um, David Michelini, and then both of the John Ramitas, which I thought was pretty cool. I thought that was really awesome, you know, that they that they acknowledged all those guys. Cause... Bob Layton, he was the auth- he was the artist on those um, Hercules yep. comics, wasn't he? Yep. I have to read those again. I love those. I think I still have those. I mean, in a in a lot of ways, the Iron Man that we've gotten for both of these movies is very much the uh, the Michelini Layton version of Iron Man. Very, very much so. Especially the you know with the hard drinking and I love this song. See, this is the version with the lyrics to it, too. It sort of reminded me a little bit at the beginning. It's Well, it's very great, big, beautiful tomorrow, but that sort of reminds me of Call the Roll, Call the Roll (laughs) of the Justice League. It's amazing because, you know, the, the, the tune is very much... Great big beautiful tomorrow, yeah. but the lyrics too. The the lyrics very much echo. And it's neat because this is at least like the fourth rendition that I know of of that of that song, essentially. You know, you've got Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, and then at one point in the history of the Carousel of Progress, uh General Electric, who was the sponsor of the pavilion. You know, decided that they didn't want to send that message anymore. You know, why wait for tomorrow? You know, that, that essentially right now is what it's all about. So they they changed the whole theme to um, now is the time. And they had a new song called now is the time. And in a lot of ways, this song kind of mirrors that version. And then in um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, 
you know, there was the whole, you know, where the Joker's hideout was and everything in that yeah. was uh, the, the Gotham uh, fair. Right. You know, I'm trying to remember what they call it, Gotham World's Fair or something like that. And there was another, ver- you know, there was a song in that that, uh, you know, I don't know who made it. I mean, it wasn't the Shermans or anything, but uh, the song, I'm trying to remember what the hell was the name of the song in that. But that was also very much great big beautiful tomorrow so you know there's all these different homages and and versions of the song it's awesome which is funny because it's i don't think it's a lot of people who are going to get that homage you know what i mean it's not right yeah like there's a lot of people that go to disney world i don't know if there's so many people who are riding riding that ride you know i don't think that's true popular ride anymore that's true i mean in, in a lot of ways you know the one that that would probably be a little more logical to go with would actually be uh uh it's a small world which yes. is another pavilion that came out of that world everybody knows that song yeah exactly and, and i mean that's that right that's wild when you think about it that you know from something that relatively speaking not that many people attended when you consider you know the the history of you know everything you know but every, you know, like you say, everybody in the world knows that song that came from that pavilion, you know, from that world. So that's pretty amazing. Because I've actually somewhere or other I've heard that referred to as uh, it's either the most popular or the most well-known song in the world. Because hmm. basically everybody knows the lyrics to it, whether they have any idea you know, where it actually comes from or anything. And that's pretty cool. I would always thought it was, my baloney has a first name. <laughs> C-A-R. I. Hey, look, Kodak got their name in there somehow. Yep. Several times. What? What's this? There's more movie? <laughs> I love this part. It's now, so while short. I it, it is very sure, while I agree with you that I also had my reservations about the Thor movie, this scene definitely it got you pumped, psyched me out. I was yeah, kind of mad. I was kind of mad on this one. I was like, eh, this oh, one's a little okay. low, low budget. You know, this one's a little low rent. Now, I was unsure. Up until I see, you know, Mjolnir, like the sword in the stone, I was like, oh, no way. No, I think that's awesome. I was blown away. Well, what do you think, man? I'm getting ready to, I I, kind of want to watch Iron Man 1, Hulk, Captain America, and (laughs) Thor again. I know. I know we need to do commentaries for all. Well, Mike Bailey and I did uh, did Captain America uh, a while back. I'm trying to think. Was that for? Gosh, was that for Independence Day last year already? I think it was. Wow, man, time we're, flies. We're, yeah, we're, we're, it won't be long before it's Independence Day again. Wow. Well, I would be totally down for doing uh, any of them. Hulk commentaries. Uh, yeah, Hulk for would, any of them. Hulk really, would yeah. be a real fun one. <laughs> Hulk, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd like to do all of them. I, I really like Thor. Thor, uh, I've watched a good. I, I may have seen that one more times than uh, than any of the other ones. I really dug Thor a lot. It's funny because I, 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 you know, I think I said this when we 
uh, sometime or other, I know we did an episode where we talked about all of these movies and we yes. even them at one point, you know, it what was, were our favorites? We put them in order back, man. It was with one, one, uh, Sanchez, Will Sanchez, Will Sanchez. and, um, who else? There was, uh, there was one, we had somebody else. Maybe Juan Castro. It might've been Juan Castro. I forget. But yeah, I remember we ranked him. I think I said at the time that, you know, these these change constantly and they still continue to change because I, I have a lot of trouble nailing down exactly which one of the uh, the lead up movies is my favorite one because it changes all the time. But I, I, I dig them all. I really do. I pretty much settled, I think, on Hulk and with the Iron Man movies behind. I don't know, though. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It could go either way. See, I, I think that, and then I'll dig out and watch, you know, one of the other ones, and I'll be like, "Oh no, I forgot how awesome this." You know, I know I like this one. You know, I think quality-wise, like film-wise, the Iron Man movies are the two best, like most balanced movies, right? Of all of them, but the Hulk is just so much fun that mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. You know, it's it, yeah. it was good to. Finally, finally, finally see a live action movie with the Hulk where there was some serious hulking out, you know, mm-hmm. where yeah. it wasn't like like with the Ang Lee movie. I always had this feeling that he wanted to keep it hidden. It's like a monster movie where he's like, oh, if I keep the Hulk hidden, it'll mean all the more when you see him for the 10 minutes that you do see him. But that's not how it is. You want to see the Hulk a lot <laughs> right on stuff a lot. And I think they really understood it in that movie. <laughs> I'd be totally down for that if we want to do that one sometime soon. Because I, I dig that movie a lot. Well, I wouldn't mind doing someday the, the um, TV Hulk, the, the season, you know, the season, you know, the opener of the, the pilot, the pilot of the TV Hulk sometime, too. I'd be down for that. I love that movie. All right. I would, even, I would even be down for doing the, uh, what was the, the TV movie, the the Return of the Incredible Hulk that had Thor in it. Did oh, you ever see that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, I loved it at the time. Oh, my God. That Thor was like from the, looked like a guy from the cheesiest metal band you've ever seen. He looked kind of like. Thanks for the wrestler. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, he looked like Rowdy Roddy Piper kind of <laughs> on the seed is what he looked like. <laughs> That's funny. All right, well, we don't know which one we're doing. We haven't quite decided on what we're doing next on... Ca- or did we decide? I think we did, but I think we want to keep a, keep a cap on it. Keep a lid it. on it? Okay. Yeah. We want to be secretive. And that way, even if we really don't know, it sounds like we do. <laughs> like we got our shit together, yeah. finally, which we don't. You're not supposed to tell him that. Don't break the fourth wall, man. (laughs) All right, excellent. (laughs) 
you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft. 
which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.